0: Welcome to Being the Dot. I'm your host, Dr. Stacy. Each week I invite a guest or guest to share their experiences of being a person of color in white spaces. Today's topic, being black in business. Since two thousand and seven, there has been an immense or explosion of Uh, black businesses in the United States. 34% of respondents to a Gaia study indicated that they went into their own business because they wanted to be their own boss. But being an entrepreneur, especially in the middle of COVID, is not for the faint at heart. Today, we have two worthy guests to talk a little bit about the joys, the challenges, managing racism, and coping with the stress of entrepreneurship. Growing up in the backwoods of Civil Hill, Alabama, Nissan Trotter seemed to move as fast as the Nissan car with lots of activities a part of his everyday life. He loved sports at a young age and transitioned from football to basketball and baseball year round. Nissan Trotter earned a scholarship to Bucknell University for football and he made an impact on Bucknell in several ways. Daring to dream, Nissan's impassioned pursuit of entrepreneurship led him to co-founding Trot Fitness Fit Body Bootcamp, one of the nation's top fitness boot camps. He has helped thousands of people in the greater Susquehanna Valley area in central Pennsylvania reach the health and fitness goals. His success gradually garnered national and international attention en route to winning the 2015 Fitness Business Summit Personal Trainer of the Year Award. He's the real deal, y'all. Nissan is a sought after motivational speaker, having presented across the nation, and he has creatively crafted his life stories to inspire and empower college students to develop your, their unique gifts and talents in order to accelerate excellence. Our other guest daughter today is Mr. Barry O. Ingram, or Reverend Barry O. Ingram, or Lieutenant Colonel. Barry O. Ingram. Barry was bit by the entrepreneurial bug as a young boy, including his first business of selling greeting cards from the back of comic books. He's come a long way since that time and has owned all kinds of businesses, from a cleaning service to a barbershop and now a mortgage brokerage. Mato Independence in Houston, Texas. In addition to his business work, he has 30 years of experience in various aspects of information technology, data analytics, ELT, software development, network engineering, and project management, and has used his IT talent to own three different IT businesses. And if that wasn't enough, For a combined 25 years, Lieutenant Colonel Ingram served in the military, both in the U.S. Army, active duty, in various intelligence assignments as NCO and intelligence officer. He received his commission from the Army Officer Candidate School in 1992 and served active duty until 1996. After a break in service, he joined the Air Force Reserve as a Protestant chaplain in 2006, and he served as a chaplain of Air Mobility Command and Air Combat Command with his final position as a wing chaplain at the Dover Air Force Base in Delaware in 2017. In 2017, he also became a cyberspace officer and in a position working at the headquarters of the Air Force. Listeners may notice in the first part of the the episode, noise in the background on Nissan's Trotter's recording. To add to full authenticity, there is actually a fitness class going on in the background for Nissan while we were recording. Being the Dot, please welcome to the podcast, Barry O. Ingram and Nissan Trotter. Woo! Thank you so
1: much for having me.
0: Thank you. So let's just start at the beginning. And I'm wondering if both of you could tell your story about moving into being an entrepreneur and kind of what what your work is, although that um, we shared a little bit in the introduction, and how you believe being African-American has impacted your journey.
2: Mine actually, so my desire to be an entrepreneur uh, is actually not, uh, I wouldn't call it a desire. I would call it a part of the fabric of who I am. And when I was younger, I didn't realize what it was. Uh, I I called it hustling. Um, When I was younger, even at eight, nine years old, I was carrying one of those old doctor bags, like a briefcase you know and i grew up in north carolina in a, in in living in trailers on welfare and i'm running around with this big old doctor's bag cuz i want to be a businessman and so the opportunities were not necessarily plentiful when it comes to being an entrepreneur and part of the issue was that you you didn't have a vision you didn't have anyone doing it to show you that you could do it and but what i knew is that I needed to make some money and land on growing trees. And by growing up without a father, I wasn't I wasn't having conversations with dad, like how we gonna pull this off. My mom was working, but it wasn't it was very little coming from I wanted my own money. So what I found is that I would do I would take all a number of steps to generate income in small pockets, but they all required me to interact with people. So I was running around. I don't know um, I don't know how old Nissan is, but um, We used to have uh, comic books, physical comic books. And on the back of the comic books, they would have these things where you could buy, where you could sign up to get these toys and stuff if you sell a certain amount of uh, greeting cards. And they would customize greeting cards. So on the back of the comic book, it was a little thing. If you sell these customized greeting cards, you make enough money, you can, you know, and I wanted to get the little blinker for my bicycle. So you can say if I'm turning left, the blinker goes on if I'm turning right. That was my goal. Um, But it required me to 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 fill out the form, and it came in, and we had all these customized greeting cards that that people. And I'm walking around Spring Lake, North Carolina, knocking on doors, meeting people. I don't know half the folks saying, "Hey, I'm just here selling greeting. I'm probably 14 years old. I'm here selling greeting cards. These are really cool because when it came in the mail, they gave you all these samples and examples, and people were buying them. I was like, "Hey, this is pretty cool." Um, And so um, I always worked, but I would always, you know, walk around to uh, furniture stores and places like that say, Hey, can I just pick up trash for you out front for, for a couple of dollars? Can I do this? And I mean, so I was always, it was part of my fabric to be an entrepreneur. I just didn't know what it was called. And then I went to the military and in the military, I found that um, some of my bad habits required more income. And so, <laughs> and so I'm, um, DJing because it's fun, but I'm also making money. At one point, I took a job cleaning toilets on base. My peers cleaning the bathrooms because it made money. Um, And I just like the fact that I could. So I always had streams of income. I didn't know that's what it was called, but I had streams of income because it's just part of my fabric. And so when I got the first opportunity to become an entrepreneur, I didn't even know what I was signing up for. I just had a guy who had just hired me. We've been working for a year. He was like, hey, we're on this contract. They're not treating us well. I want to leave, take the contract with us and start our own business. I'm 23, 24. Okay. I ain't no, no better. And and
0: What business was that? Which one oh, was that? The,
2: the Oak Hill Group. And so from there, I got the entrepreneur bug. That's when it all linked together because I'm working with Oak Hill and I'm like, I'm an owner. Okay. I'm an owner. And so I was a minority owner in more than one way, Um, but it gave me that sense of working for myself. And after that, I was a terrible employee for the rest of my life. (laughs) After that, I just, I've had plenty of jobs, but I would either get fired or deserve to get fired or quit because I just, once you work for yourself and you control your own destiny, good or bad, it's hard to go back. Now, being a black man in America, coming from North Carolina with a family, you got to do what you got to do. So if I got to go get a job, I'm going to get a job. But if it's my preference, I'm going to work for myself. And so that entrepreneurism came out of, you know, it's just it's just part of who I, I am. And it's kind of part of who I've been. It's just not that I'm older and I've been to a couple of schools. And I got a couple of pieces of paper that are hanging on the wall. I know a better way of articulating it. But I have been you know, it's just part of who I am.
0: Awesome. Thank you, Barry. Nissan.
1: Yes, I really resonate with what Barry was saying about getting involved with entrepreneurship. And I forget who said it, but someone said that entrepreneurship is a lifetime sentence. And once you get in, they don't want you back. So I I can attest (laughs) to not only perhaps that being true, but uh, I'm glad it's true because I don't ever envision myself now going on 10 years and with entrepreneurship ever working for anyone else again. Um, And I do think that the big distinction between uh, entrepreneurship and being a business owner is uh, a business owner uh, creates a job for himself, but an entrepreneur creates jobs for other people. And I also have seen a lot of value in uh, doing that. And to speak specifically to your question, I don't remember ever recalling saying specifically I want to be an entrepreneur. Uh, Coming up in school and graduating from Bucknell in 2005, I don't think that entrepreneurship was as hot as it is right now, Um, especially among millennials and Generation Zers. It's the thing to do. But Gary Vaynerchuk said entrepreneurship is like uh, getting a punch in the gut. Everybody is not built for it. So uh, I think that for me, it was just more so wanting to, wanting to own something and not necessarily having the name for it, but being around it and realizing that this was cultivating me into who it was that I was to become. Because uh, I grew up in the deep south of Alabama, and my mom and dad were nothing more than newspaper chuckers. Uh, There was a thing at at one point that were called newspapers, and we didn't go to, obviously, Google and have Facebook and IG. And just right on the doorstep or in the driveway, you would walk out and get a newspaper. Well, my mom and dad were were like part owners in this uh, newspaper company. And I remember, and this is no pun intended, when Nissan Nissan was called Datsun, (laughs) and uh, my mom and dad had a Datsun uh, orange beat-up truck. And uh, then early in the morning, my mom, around 4 a.m., probably earlier sometimes, uh, would uh, make a little bed in that little king cab, put pillows on the seat, throw blankets over us. And then uh, early in the morning, when it was pitch black, would just chuck newspaper. And then when we finally woke up, my brother and I, we would help her out with that. Uh, And then lo and behold, they were able to build a home from the ground up in Alabama, deep south in the 80s. And, and and as minorities in the 80s building a home from the ground up, you're doing something. You don't really see that happen. So they were like the Jay-Z and the Beyonce of the hood uh, back in the day. Uh, so, <laughs> so I think that was kind of uh, stirring up something in me to want to uh, be a part of something bigger than what it is that I am. And then uh, my grandmother, too, being from the South, you know, she would sell, she would buy these... Uh, moon pies and snicker bars and m&ms and she would also i don't know if y'all know about the little uh, styrofoam uh, freeze pops where you can put kool-aid in and put it in the freezer And, and so my grandmother was like the ice cream lady of the whole neighborhood and she would flip uh, like it, it, all that she brought into the house as a profit, uh, all the neighborhood kids would come around and I would be, be just seeing her sell a pack of m and for way more than what they actually cost in the store. So all of that, I think, would kind of culminated into me wanting to be an entrepreneur myself.
0: Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Thank you for that. I wonder if both of you could share uh, just a little bit about the businesses that you own or have owned, just the abridged version, um, uh, if if you could.
1: I think I have a shorter list than Barry, so I'll go for you. Uh, So uh, the only businesses that... I run, and uh, when I say I, I should say we run, my wife and I, as co-owners of Trot Fitness, is uh, a physical brick and mortar space called Trot Fitness. And we've also sprawled into being a hybrid company and now offering online services regarding fitness. And then I also uh, am a professional keynote speaker.
2: I use the term serial entrepreneur on purpose. and And I think part of being a serial entrepreneur is one I do like employing people, but if we all are honest with ourselves, we're looking for that one thing to hit. We're looking for that one thing. And so you so what I have learned over the years is that as I'm moderately successful in one thing, I didn't search to be moderately successful in the next thing up. And then moderately successful, I don't wait to, to maximize. And I don't know if this is right or wrong, but I don't wait to maximize where I'm at. I learned the lesson. All right, let me try something bigger that's something bigger, that's something bigger. So I have gone from um, working as a DJ, making a little bit of money here and there in my own business to my first business of doing, um, where I had a team of people running around providing um, audio visual support for classrooms to now running a mortgage brokerage in uh, Texas. And so, I learn a little every step of the way, and I've had a number of businesses. I, but I'll just sprinkle in a couple. We've we've um, had a cleaning company. Uh, we owned a barbershop. Um, we have um, government contracting IT business. Um, I used to broker hard money lending for people flipping houses. Um, way back when I really first got started, just for tax purposes, I would do business cards and all kinds of little IT desktop publishing kind of stuff. Um, and to now where I'm, I have uh, my government contracting business I at one point my maximum amount of employees was about uh, ten and we were grossing about three million a year um, and um, and again to me that was moderately successful most of the money went to the employees and I started the the mortgage brokers we started the mortgage brokers back in March officially we got open in March and right now I'm at 12 employees um, and so, um, that's kind of the, the range uh, of my businesses, but right now I'm all in on the mortgage brokerage, with a little bit on the side of doing the um, doing the uh, the IT government contracting still, and I'm probably going to be opening up a uh, real estate brokerage that's going to complement the mortgage brokerage. So the real estate brokerage is going to be I want to say low key, but not like a Remax, but it's going to be small enough to bring in a number of real estate agents who would then um, Take some of the leads and some of the people they're working with, and turn those into uh, leads for the mortgage brokerage. So uh, when you hit my webpage at some point, uh, it's going to have the the overall mortgage brokerage. It's going to have some place a spot for credit repair. It's going to have a spot for, um, for um, uh, uh, I I want to say financial IT consultant type of stuff because I've actually written a couple of apps. I have the IT background. Written a couple of apps to help help to integrate. And then it's going to have the mortgage brokerage and the real estate brokerage. So I'm going to have a little, little, little train at the bottom of the webpage, and depending on what you click on, you'll get something different. So right now, mortgage brokerage and, and affiliated type of um, businesses.
0: That's great. That's great. Both of you had talked about that being um, an entrepreneur is not for the faint at heart, and. Um, And I agree. And I'm one of those people who enjoy the security and our listeners can't see me, but I'm doing, um, quote unquote, security of a paycheck and don't always have the mindset um, of of entrepreneurship, if you if you will. Even though I do have a business or two that I'm in, I have one that is mine and, and then my husband's that I support. Um, And I'm, I'm wondering what led you to, to get into this. And when you say it's not for the faint of heart, like, what do you mean by that? Can I, can I add a little bit to that? So the study that, one of the studies that I looked at talked about people do it for different reasons. And so sometimes it's wealth creation. Sometimes they don't want it. They're a terrible employee. Um, Sometimes it's, they don't want to be, they want to be their own boss and then, um, or they're following a passion.
2: Okay, so, so I would, I would, I'll speak for me. Um, part of the, the pull is to uh, have control of your own destiny. And so when I got out of the military, I was a military officer, active duty in the United States Army. I was an intelligence officer working with NSA and all kinds of neat stuff. But I got out of the military primarily because I outworked the guy who sat right beside me. But because we were in the military and we had the same rank, We got the same pay. And I double worked him. But because I wasn't in the right relationship with the boss, he got a better report card than me. But I I worked him. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, I need to be somewhere where my hustle is going to have a direct impact on my wallet. Mm. So that Mm -hmm. was number one. Number, Number two was there's nothing like being able to work with someone and help them improve their quality of life. I have given people coming out of jail their first job. I have given people who had uh, too much debt part-time jobs, and they worked with me till they paid the debt off. Uh, I have given kids their first job. Uh, I have a, a marketing person working for me now, and she she was pretty much unemployed. Um, and I, I brought it in and gave her more work and more responsibility than she's ever had. And she's been stretched and she's been she's growing. And and it's and you can see the frustration in her face. But at the same time, you can see the impact and the results. I'm running a mortgage brokers where everybody in my company is two years, in some cases, one year less in experience because nobody wants to give us a chance. To, because we're too new. And it's so much money in the mortgage business. Why would I hire somebody brand new and I can hire someone else to make it. So I got eight, nine people. We all less than one year. So we're going to grow together. We're going to learn together and we're going to kick butt together. And so being in a position to where we can control our own destiny and where we we are able to impart into others and invest in others and see people grow. Uh, and then finally, um, the reason it's not for the faint of heart because there is a risk reward correlation. And so if you want that great reward, you have to take great risk. And with risk, sometimes you come out on the good end and sometimes you come out on the bad. Sometimes you're going to be rolling in dough and everything's going to be fine. And one, and next minute you might not have any money because you're trying to make payroll. It's a risk reward. Not not everybody can deal with that. Not everybody wants to. Some people can't look two months down the road and go, oh, my God, in two months, I might not have a job because you work for yourself. But what if business goes down when well, you come up with another plan? But some people would prefer to not have that. They want to be steady as we as 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 um as uh, uh Russell Wilson said, steady Eddie. That's how he got his wife. He told his wife, you need a steady Eddie. That's the difference between someone willing to take that chance as an entrepreneur because we are willing and able and prepared to deal with the lows. Everybody can take the highs. We're willing to deal
1: with the lows. Sorry.
0: What about you, Nissan?
1: Uh For me, to answer your question about uh, why choose entrepreneurship, I think that was a part of it, right? Right. Uh, it, it it's almost in a sense for some entrepreneurs, I believe that it chooses them uh, because of uh, they're gifted and they're good at something that the market dictates they should be paid for. Uh, and so, a number of times, I think the best entrepreneurs are the best because their passion has allowed them to just simply endure. Sometimes it's not even necessarily about the roller coaster ride of ups and downs, but how long can you just stick with a thing? I don't think that necessarily, if the game is called infinity, we would all win if we just never gave in. And so I just think that a part of, you know, the highs and the lows of this, especially this journey when it comes to fitness on this side of the world, uh, 80% of fitness businesses go out of business within the first six months. And, you know, I relate fitness because it's a hard sell on on this side of the world. It's like, feels like dog years for every one year it feels like seven <laughs> so wow. so you just have to have a level of endurance and unmitigated gall to uh, just continue to take it one day at a time and that's sometimes i think uh, that is the gut pu- punch it isn't an acute pain it's 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 almost like a lasting thing that you have to to, to deal with um, so,
0: kind of like a hum, like a... Mm, yeah. And, oh, no
1: question. Mm-hmm. This is why I love the words from Dave Ramsey in his book, Entre Leadership. He said, when things are going great, remember you're not as good as you think you are. And when things are going bad, you're not as bad as you think you are. Uh, and so I believe that that's really what maybe some entrepreneurs refer to as a gut punch, but the the reason why they continue to outlast is because they're good at it. And the market has has determined because of their product, their services, that uh, they vote with their dollars because of that, that goodness that they put out into the world.
0: Mm -hmm. So what's your, what's your sense about how being an African-American male impacts your business work, your businesses, and your mindset as an entrepreneur? I,
1: I think in part, Ben <laughs> gave me the cue. Uh, I, I believe in part uh, the impact psychologically when interacting with the majority is that our product or service isn't good enough just simply based on nearly the color of our skin. Obviously we've always been seen as second tier citizens so of these United States of America. And so because of that, uh, sometimes I do question and wonder which I wish that I would never have to. I do wonder how much more successful would I be if I was a white owner in a hyper white space? Uh, because I know that what I what we have and what we're delivering has garnered the attention of so many but how many times have people passed by the doors just because of me being a black man and never having to interact with a person of authority of this elk. Uh, and so, you know, that certainly, that, that, that certainly rings true in my mind. And, and and it just makes me wonder and question, which I shouldn't. And then there's sometimes, I think I'll be brief with these next comments where You do wonder, I do feel like I'm I'm great at this thing, but am I being great at it, getting half as much Uh, because I have, I've had to overcome so many hurdles to be where it is that I am and continue to do that today. So uh, you just sometimes question the difference in your trajectory uh, because of the plight that is black American. Thank you.
2: And I'm going to I'm going to, to, to continue that, that frame of thought that Nissan had. Um, you, as an African-American, you can be top-notch, top of your game. Um, you can really have your product in order, your service in order. But your success is going to be based on opportunity. And so the question is, when they walk by his door, are they going to give him the opportunity? As a mortgage broker, I had to stop and think Am I gonna put, and I shouldn't have to do this, am I gonna put my face on my business card? Mm
1: -hmm.
2: In the mortgage industry, in the real estate industry, big deal. You have your picture on your business cards, you have it on your signature block. As an IT guy, they could care less what I look like, but in the mortgage mortgage industry and real estate, they wanna see your picture. And I had to ask myself, Well, I I understood that there are going to be people who are going to look at my business card and not use me because I'm Black. So then I had to ask myself, do I want to compromise visually because I'm worried about something financially? Mm. So Mm. what got me was listening to my own advice. So I have a diverse staff, I have Indian, I have white, I have Latino, I got black, I got female, I got male. Um, my whole team's diverse. Uh, one of my uh, members is um, Venezuelan, one of my loan officers is Venezuelan. And I told her, and I told the Indian young lady the same thing. I said, legally, we can't prefer anyone over another. But if for some reason, you become the go-to loan officer in the Venezuelan community, you will be rolling in dough. If you're the number one Indian mortgage broker in your community, you will be you will be overwhelmed with the amount of attention and applications. And is there anything wrong with that? And it's not. People often give opportunities where they're comfortable and mm-hmm. right or wrong that's just that's that is our society. And so what I decided was by me not having my picture, I was actually felt like I was um, I was marginalizing my african Americanness mm. as trying to acculturate, in a sense, trying to appease those who are not. And the more I thought about it, I had to take my own advice. If I'm the number one black guy in this part of Texas for loans, I'm making good money. I ain't worried about if you want to use me or not. The frustration, and I I think I pick up on some Nissan, is that we have to think about it. It would be great if we could just have business and just do business and handle our business, but we have to think about it because we are African American. And we have different dynamics and a different um, mindset and a different culture and different inputs that we have to consider with every decision because we're African American. Well, others would not. And that's what that's what being an entrepreneur African-American, you're forced to decide. Am I gonna be true to whom I am? Am I gonna live in some dual psyche that we learned about in seminary? Or am I gonna just try to cater to one. Or cater to the other. Others don't have to think this way, and that's the frustration that comes with being an entrepreneur because you feel like you know. And, and I give now, and I shut my mouth on this one real quick. You know that dual psyche is is simply this: when I go home to North Carolina, I talk a certain way, I act a certain way. I, sl- I I got a little bit more slang. I walk a little funny because even though my pimp ain't quite right, I still try to slide <laughs> it in there sometimes. I downplay all kinds of stuff because I need to fit in with my people, degrees or not. And then when I get, then I when I flip and I'm talking to someone about businesses, I got I got to talk proper. And I and, and literally the other day, and I try not to take offense, but I had an individual I was talking to who never met me, and we're having this discussion. Uh, uh, white dude who's the um recruiter for mortgage officers, and he's like, "Man, you are so well spoken." People will, I think people, he was giving me a compliment. I think people will follow you. This is, he was just going, I think I can find people for your company because you're this, 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 you're smart. This, this. And he, and he don't even get that. Why you even going to say that? And so that's that challenge that we're forced to have it in the back of our mind as, as African-Americans, we have to think about it. We have to consider the dynamics of our environment and we shouldn't have to.
0: It's, it's an interesting kind of thing because just like people will follow you, will not follow you because you are African-American, the opposite is true. And so there is this choice point piece about um, that I would be more likely to follow you because you are African-American. But, but, I, I, but I think that that internalized racism can kick in sometimes and cause us to question our, ourselves. That kind of thing, that and particularly that there are stereotypes connected to being African American business folks, um, and so I was preparing for our time today, and I was looking at there's this meme out there about the difference between Popeyes and Chick fil A, right, and um, and not not necessarily about the chicken sandwich because we can argue which one is best. But that um, notions about customer service and the, the quality of the infrastructure and um, even the quality of the food and that there are things that people project on to to you as a business person and African-American.
2: Yeah, And I think it's important because I literally had this conversation that we we can understand that there's a there's a racial aspect of this. But we're but Nissan, we're businessmen. So in the end. I literally just said this two days ago to someone. I don't mind using black businesses, but they need to handle their business. And that's how I carry myself. You're not gonna come to me as a mortgage broker and get substandard treatment or sub quality product. And I'm much more sensitive to that being African-American. But even if I wasn't, if I was whatever color was, I want top-notch service and I wanna give top-notch service. And so uh, there are some cases where if you're voting for the very first African American- President, you could care less about his policy, not at all, but he that's my vote, but there're going to be other cases where we' are looking at the quality of service and we are holding that accountable, uh holding you accountable to that, and if we don't get that, yeah, it may be a stereotype, but we're going to vote with our feet and go somewhere else next time.
0: You bet absolutely. Yeah, people, somebody accused me during the 2008 season about of, of voting for Obama, Obama because he was black. And I said, well, he's, yes, you are correct, but he's not flavorful. Yeah, yeah. Like <laughs> the man has credibility and the right credentials and all that Kanye stuff. He's not Kanye. That's what you're supposed to say. <laughs> well, there's that. this <laughs> that as well. <laughs> this time, were you going to say something?
1: Yeah, I was going to say also, if I could speak to that, it reminds me of uh, Dr. Peggy McIntosh, who coined Mm -hmm. the word white privilege, talked about in like she's a women's study, deeply profound in that and wrote a paper about white privilege. And one of the I think it was a a number of different cases she Mm -hmm. gave Mm -hmm. to prove white privilege was the fact that uh, majority white people don't ever have to necessarily consider race whenever they're working with another person of authority because they typically look like them, mm-hmm. dress like them, talk like them, etc. So when they're confronted, then therefore with someone who is uh, different and who is opposite, you know, that's when all these questions come up, you know, is this person good enough because I'm not used to seeing them in this position. And so that's just the issue at large. I think, I think, you know, internalized racism, you know, happens. We do it even to ourselves, unfortunately. Like, because this person is a black business owner, they got to be quote unquote ratchet. (laughs) But but, uh, I think uh, the issue also lies therein. It's hard even if we're going to do that within the race, then how do we even expect for folks who are privileged to do it outside the race? It's a big Mm -hmm. thing.
0: It is. It's definitely a thing. It's interesting. Um, there was a study done by the Colgate um, Center for Research, and spotlighted how institutional racism plays a role in business, and gives people who are Black, Indigenous people of color, um, have that what they talked about is having less capital, less collateral, and that by not by uh, Black and Brown businesses not being properly undergirded that there is a loss of over 9 million jobs because of that. And I'm, I'm wondering if either one of you want to comment on that at all.
2: Yeah, before I forget, because I'm getting old and I might forget my thought. So um, when I was running my IT government contracting business, I got approached a number of times about filling out the paperwork to become an 8A organization. And when 8A, you're in your minority, 8A, you, you get special uh, privileges and things of that nature. And so that would always be, hey, are you 8A yet? Are you 8A yet? And I had, it was two main issues that came up with that uh, when it came to me applying. One is in the application, you have to check and write up why you can't compete because you are of a minority. And I told my team, and my lawyers and anyone else, I said, we're going to do this A day form at some point. Um, but I'm paying somebody to fill it out because there's no way I'm going to say that. There's no way I'm going to say I can't compete. And so therefore, I need a special status. That just burned me up to nobody's business. Um, and so number two, they have this and I don't know numbers. So I do apologize. I'm not as well read as I should be about certain things. But let's just hypothetically say there is. 5 billion worth of government business out there. They would then take, I'm not gonna say 1 billion, I'm gonna say, okay, we'll say 1 billion. They'll take 1 billion of the 500 billion, all right? They'll take 1 billion of that and set it aside for for 8A programs, for disadvantage. And then, so you take everybody who's an 8A. And we're now fighting for that 1 billion and we're so happy to get those little scraps of pieces of bits of, of, of bacon. And they got the whole whopper on the other side. And we not. did you ever, did, did you ever get it? No, I couldn't do it. I never filled it out. I never filled it out. Uh, and so that's the two things, the issues I had with the 8A program. And that's where it goes back to again access to capital access to funds because they they even set up a system to where you all going to fight over this little bit and we're going to we're not even going to give you an opportunity to fight for this other because we got your mindset thinking let me go for the easy low hanging fruit and you're in this you're in this bucket of a number of people fighting for the little small stuff while they're just getting fat and happy on the rest of the burger
0: wow that's deep what about you nissan you want to comment at all
1: Wow. It's, it's a lot that you can say about that. It, it is more so a systemic problem. It's a systemic issue, you know, that widens the gap and perpetuates the gap in so many different areas, educationally, uh, wealth, uh, poverty, employment, you name it. Is, it, it reminds me of um, when I think when I think in this regard, what it reminds me of, and I don't know the exact numbers either, but we'll play around with this example that Barry used a little bit more, is that the University of uh, Howard has the historically biggest endowment among black universities. And I don't know the exact number. The University of Harvard's endowment is 70 times Mm -hmm the amount of the biggest historically black university Mm -hmm. college Mm -hmm. Howard's endowment. So when we talk about the level of access, then therefore that funds are able to provide for an institution like Harvard, although we might craze the number that Howard might have, if we are blind to the amount of money that Harvard has systemically over time, their endowment obviously has grown, we can, we can be excited, to use Barry's example, about the slice of bacon, not realizing that they don't even have just a Whopper. They don't even have just a Big Mac. I mean, they, they got restaurants down the street in comparison. <laughs> you know <what> <laughs> so it's, it's like we're not even using the same stratosphere mm-hmm. because systemically, like I don't even know if people really understand what that word truly means, but it also means like, it's, it's cancerous in the sense that it spreads and it deepens in it and the breadth of it even is is such an issue to deal with because it contaminates so many different areas
2: and it has it has recursive implications and so
0: and generational
2: same yeah I was just trying to I was trying to mm-hmm. use the word it has yeah.
0: yeah I like it though recursive. yeah exactly
2: I mean no question because um, I I have a a tendency to. To look at the start, when I see someone who's the guy who started Chipotle and the guy who started this and start, and I'm and, cause I'm trying to figure out. I've been hustling for years. Why well, I ain't hit the big time? And I will go back and look at a lot of lot of origin stories. I look at the origin origin story of Netflix and Amazon. I'm looking at these origin stories. They their definition of bootstrap ain't the same as our definition of bootstrap. And when you have generations of you know take the tossle where you have you have a Black Wall Street, and then all of a sudden, you have this transfer of wealth that goes to zero. Now you impact in generations. Now you got generations who can't get money to start businesses from their parents and grandparents because mm-hmm. they got mm-hmm. cheated, or That's right. That's you know. Right. And so Dan Snyder started with a couple million. Donald Trump started with a couple million. The guy who started Chipotle, his dad loaned mm-hmm. him a couple. Million. It's like. You know, Netflix, the guy was working with his friend. They were just playing around trying to find something that I was like, I got money. Let's try to start something. Let's talk about it. Well, let's try this. That's not how we start. And so that's a systemic thing. We don't have we don't have the generational ability to pass wealth down that's then going to drive innovation that's going to drive imagination mm-hmm. that's going to drive that's the right. ability for that's a right. person to even believe it's much harder to be sitting and thinking about what business you're going to start and how you're going to do things if you're worried about are you going to eat that's right. that's and this right. goes and this goes back to not want to make it too spiritual but this goes back to Christ Christ says let's feed them first let's take care of their needs then we can get them saved Mm-hmm. If you want to go start a business mm-hmm. and have and give people the opportunity to go and expand and be and compete with the Amazons of the world, then you can't have them struggling just to survive and wondering why, why aren't you creative enough to start a Chipotle? Oh, what about cuss? Because I'm trying to eat. <laughs> <laughs>
1: So you just took us to the cross, <laughs> huh? <laughs> <laughs> like Dr. Stacey, how, how much do you want to keep on this point? Because I, I could piggyback off of what he said too, but I want to get to uh, some of your other questions if this yeah. is not where you want to go.
0: Well, this is good. I think this is really helpful because I think it really speaks to the difficulty in being a black entrepreneur. And, you know, I, I think about, um, my husband and I were talking the other day about the wineings. And how the brothers kind of um, like you cannot be a winner and not sing, it's not allowed. Like they send you back, right? And so that um, and so that the brothers did what they did, right? And then there was BB and Cece and Angie and Debbie, and then the next generation, phase two, and then mom and pop, and 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 I think the same thing is true about wealth and knowledge and social resources and so that's why it becomes so complicated for our, our black entrepreneurs to be successful. I'm wondering, given that we we've kind of laid that out so nicely, what each of you would say about what are the right steps to try to overcome? So the challenges are what they are, right? So what are the right steps to try to overcome? those challenges or manage them at least um, or to mitigate them, whatever the word that you want to use, um, to move towards success?
1: Well, I'll start by uh, saying using his, his example. I mean, I could listen to him all, all day long and, and and take it back off uh, what he, what he's saying, but you, you know, I, I believe he brought up uh, the Tulsa massacre, which was in 1921. And when you look at the research on that, um, the The economic value at that time for I believe they also call it a Black Wall Street was around 30 to forty mm-hmm. million dollars. And then when mm-hmm. they had these were insured businesses, which by the way, when they went to get insurance, it was not honored, there was a chance for them to mm-hmm. rebuild um, even after such destru- destruction. so so when he says, really coming up by the bootstrap it means for us oh the large majority obviously we're we're not uh what is it monolithic we're not i'm not able to speak for every black person but i'm gonna say that it's really starting from the bottom and that's why i think there's a song that started from the bottom now we hear right and and so for, for to answer your question i believe for me when it was you know, people see our physical location and when we have multiple locations and they see the surround sound and and a nice gym floor, all the type of tricked out equipment that they don't realize that we started in a public park. You know, crowds were getting bit by Mm. mosquitoes. It was nothing fancy. It, It was slipping on wet grass, having to bring your own dumbbells and your own exercise mats. And so for that entrepreneur who looks like us, talks like us, etc. I would say to them that you can still make it. There has to be a level of mental resiliency. And one of the things that really has helped us is it doesn't stop you still from learning from those who are at where you want to be, black or white. And so I, we put ourselves in environments to learn what the blueprint is and then recreated ourselves.
0: Nice.
2: Uh, wow, this was, I don't think we have enough time for all the things in my brain, um, but I really appreciate what Nissan said. And uh, I have so many, because I've been in so many different environments, whether it be the IT business, uh, the mortgage brokerage, uh, I've just felt like, you know, it's it's, it's just really challenging to, because every situation is so different. Um, but I will was, was say this, um, you got to keep going. No one's going to believe in your dream more than you Um, read and apply. And if you're not going to read, listen and apply. Mm
1: -hmm.
2: Application is going to be your best bet when it comes to trying to be consistently successful. I heard a quote um, recently in a um, in a um, mortgage brokerage sales event I was in, and I've been using it over and over and over Um, progress. Is better than perfection. Mm. And so I've gotten to this point, and I'm not as successful as I would like to be, but I'm way further than just running around, carrying around my speakers, doing the DJ thing. I just kept making progress. You have to, you have to keep making progress. You have to be a lifelong learner, uh, and you cannot be scared to learn from anybody. Um, Take risks and learn from your mistakes. Be better the next time.
1: Yeah, yeah, and I want to say to that too, uh, the fact that uh, I just want to keep embellishing the points that he's making. (laughs) And I'm not trying to do it, but it just comes to my mind. It's like, I, I really, I love what the word says. Never despise the day of humble beginnings. And what I've also learned with that And I can test to the just the mental fortitude that even in what Barry is saying, uh, what you've been through, Stacey, as well. You know, when you've worked hard and you've earned something and you're not a fluke or some one hit wonder, like it takes you a little bit more to be knocked off your block. Like COVID has been a nightmare for the gym industry. I mean, luckily. Fly, mm-hmm. falling down like flies, I've left and right, major box gyms, big name industries. And glory be to God, we are still here. And, uh, and it's because of just that progress that he's talking about and trying to put one foot in front of the other. And it just builds uh, these abs are still in you to where you feel like you can take anything. Um, and I'm just thankful for this one day. And who knows what the future will hold, but what, what someone cannot say, about Tribe fitness or, or 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 our 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 business in general is that we were just a fluke or or and that this just just happened because you know um, it, it, off a whim and a prayer. No, I mean we, we definitely mm-hmm. put in our dues for this.
0: What's the one piece of advice that you would give to white people in dealing with people of color to make business um, and entrepreneurship more inclusive?
1: I think that that's a tough question to answer for me because I struggle with it also having an undertone of me saying, what's a way that you can serve me better? And I always feel like that place of servitude should Mm. come from the heart of the giver. Like, like, if that makes sense. It does. if if I'm really trying, to, and, and, so it's it's like I'm trying to give advice on how to treat me equitable as a black business owner, and it's just like I I, I I'm struggling with the answer to that question, and and maybe Bear would have something, and I I'd definitely give the floor uh, to him. I, I, I all I and all I can do. From this standpoint, is put the very best product and service out that gets your attention. And if you are playing fairly and you see that what I have to offer is superior than something else that you've tried, then the color of my skin as a black man should never get in the way of it.
0: Well, and I guess that it sounds like that is your that's your thought that to treat me to treat to look at the quality of my product and treat me fairly and equitably. Now, part of what that means is that they have to interrupt implicit bias and maybe go against and be more intentional about supporting black businesses um, and or um, or pumping you up or amplifying your, your voice in your business. But you're saying treat me equitably.
1: Yes, because I, I always, and, and so this is your scope, right? You you are in the trenches with the DEI stuff. And so mm-hmm. I'm not even going to try to pretend like I'm on that level. But all I'm just simply saying is, is I, I just feel like we're not asking necessarily for a handout. That's right. We just simply want to be treated That's fairly. That's yeah. right. Absolutely. And the, I, I wish that it was more complex for me and I feel bad that I'm not giving a deeper answer, mm-hmm. uh, but that's where, that's where it resides for me is that we just want our fair shot. It's good. And, I for, love and, it. for, oh, and for and for you to at least give the benefit of the doubt, this is maybe going a step a step farther, but give the benefit of the doubt until we prove you wrong. If, mm-hmm. if you feel like you're stepping out on a limb to do business, to do commerce then give the at least the benefit of the doubt uh, until I guess we, we we prove you right in what your true sentiments are That's that, true. oh man, this is not going to be good for me interacting in business with him or her as right. a black person.
0: Good, good. That's perfect. Thank you. And you are not the first person to have a reaction to that question.
1: What do you mean by that? Like a similar... Um...
0: Like, I don't know. I don't know if I'd like this question. That
1: That's
0: oh, people...
2: <laughs> <This is my laughs> just like
1: that.
0: I don't know that I like this question. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: But Barry? I, 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 Nissan, thank you for your answer. That was very, very well. Um, and um, for a guy wearing a baseball hat, that was you speak very eloquently.
1: Um. <laughs> <laughs> he just wrote everything. He just said everything <laughs> So what, well, do you going to see my hair now at all? The, now Barry this, this just is set of really back like 27 day. years right there. <laughs> Yeah.
2: she set you up she should have told you that I am an amateur comedian she did not tell you oh I forgot that you
0: are an amateur comedian yes so, you are
2: um, back, all brother. seriousness um, what he started with is one of the points I was thinking of and, and I'm going to say it this way and for lack of a long you know discourse I'm going to say treat us fair and don't make it awkward
1: wait you have to elaborate on the awkward part you're not able to just move on from that because it seems like i know you're not trying to go into a long discourse but i know there's something more there yeah don't make me feel
2: like you're giving me this opportunity because i'm black don't make me feel that you're interacting with me differently because i'm black don't make it awkward it's a business it's a loan fill out your application don't call me, and I've had this happen. Call me and say, oh, I want to work with you cause I worked with some other good looking black men before, and uh, huh what 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 they got to do with the loan Don't make it now I'm like, now I think like I gotta go tell my wife on you. I mean this is the whole thing awkward. <laughs> don't make it awkward
0: don't make it awkward." That's good. Do right.
2: Don't make it awkward. And then once you and, and there are other ways they can make it awkward by making you feel like you owe them something for the opportunity. And and d- would you do that with your boy, with your girl? No. Don't make it awkward. Yeah. And you don't have to bring up black this or white this. Just this business. Don't make it awkward. Number one. Uh, well, number, that's one and two together. No, next. Provide A conduit for opportunities once we do right. Mm. Because we can impress you and do well, but we all know your network is your net worth. Mm
1: -hmm. And if
2: you and you as a white individual are gonna have access to doors that I can't get in without you cracking it open. Mm -hmm. So provide a be a conduit to opportunity. Be an advocate. I don't need you to be my salesperson, but when the opportunity comes up, oh, yeah, Barry's got a come. They ain't got to know I'm black because if you mentioned that I'm black, now it's awkward again.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Be a conduit to opportunity by being a genuine advocate because of our business. If you do those two things, you don't make it awkward. You take us, like, like Nissan said, you give us the chance, you be fair. And then once you realize, oh, we good, then you start opening other doors and introducing us to other people. In, in, our, country, in our in our culture, what we say, oh, he good people. I need white people to come up with their own version of he good people and then open some doors for us so that we can take advantage of it as well.
0: That's good. That's good. What's the advice that you would give to your younger self as it relates to business?
2: it's going to be the same thing I would give myself regards of business. is learn learn how, no, excuse me. Find a way to get excited about saving.
0: That's good. That's really.
2: Because I can get really excited about spending.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: But how do I get excited about saving? Because there's a lot of other implications to that. And, and I'm not saying we need to be on the far end extreme where you don't spend any money, right? But there is there is there's a lot that comes with a mentality that I don't need to I don't need to be a consumer. I can be without, or I can be with less, or fill in the blank, fill in the blank. Unless you got a rich uncle or grandma's getting ready to pass away and drop some money into your bank account, we, me personally, I would tell myself you need to get excited about saving and having money and thinking about ways to have your money work for you instead of you working for your money. That's how that, That's because I would hope I would listen mm-hmm. because that's what I have not listened to.
1: I mean, that's very fair. And uh, I will say mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. because of having savings, especially uh, through COVID as a business, we've still been around. When revenue percent has dipped to less than, uh, you know, gross and 50% less than revenue, I'll be transparent and honest. The only way we've made it this far and we'll make it past uh, the new year where it's speculated another 20% to 33% of fitness business will go out of business is solely due to savings. So that is sound advice. And I believe for me, my piece of advice, one piece of advice would be to thine craft be true. Mm. And when we're saying craft, when I'm saying craft, I'm not just saying that thing that you're particularly building uh, when it comes to uh, your widget or that particular service that you're providing. I'm also saying that includes it, but I'm also saying the craft of being an entrepreneur, because there it might not be a science to this exactly. Or if it or if it was, like there'd be a formula A plus B equals equals this, and then we know how to exactly follow it to be boom successful. But I promise you, there is an art to this. And if you are not true to it, this game will take you out fast. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that's what I was saying.
0: That's awesome. So thank you so much to our guest starters today, Barry Ingram and Nissan Trotter. I have learned a lot both about you, but also about business and entrepreneurial acceptance. I am confident that our listeners will feel the same way. Why don't we end with you telling the people where to find you?
1: Okay. um, If you would like to look up content, particularly on health and fitness, you can go to www trot fitness t-r-o-t fitness.com uh, you can always uh, email us too at info at trot if you're looking for content on me particularly uh, you can go to www.nissan n-i-s-a-n trotter.com and i'm also on the ig's and the social medias on facebook at nissan that's one s nissan trotter
2: okay. And, 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 I, and I, must, I want to sneak a quick preaching here real quick. So I do apologize. I want one last thought uh, when it comes to being an entrepreneur. Uh, and that is, and this is the, the advice I can give really quickly and elevator. And I say it very often. If you're going to be an entrepreneur, you need to allow the business drive your expenses. So you work on getting business and then let that business then push where you spend your money a lot of times we want to go spend money and we don't have any business. So being an entrepreneur, So One That's of the things is, regardless of the color, you want to spend your time, you want to mm-hmm. craft it, you want to be good at it, but you also need to make sure that you got, you got, you got a, a, a need. You're dealing with a need. You got people pushing you. You should have people waiting in line when you open up. You need to let that business push how much you spend in advance. Uh, the best way to find me is going to be, um, independence. So motto like the word motto with two T's. Mottoindependence.com. That is uh the website for our uh for our mortgage brokerage. And I'm on uh f- probably Facebook would probably be the easiest. Uh, look for Barry Ingram as my first name, and mortgage broker as my last name.
0: This episode was edited by Caroline Bone. Special thanks to our podcast intern, Amanda Gillette. Our music is provided by Jaffa. Being the Dot is sponsored by davisdeliciousdelights.com. davisdeliciousdelights.com, custom-made personalized pastries, cakes, pies, and cookies made with a dash of Southern flair. Visit Davis Delights.com and use the coupon code being the dot for twenty percent off orders of thirty five ninety nine.